do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the very first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then, when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, I will also accompany them. After I go through Macedonia, I will come to you, for I am going through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay with you a while, or even spend the winter, so that you can help me on my journey, wherever I go. I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend more time with you, if the Lord permits. But because I will stay at Ephesus until Pentecost, because a great door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many who oppose me. If Timothy comes, see to it that he has nothing to fear while he is here with you, for he is carrying on the work of the Lord just as I am. No one then should refuse to accept him. Send him on his way in the peace so that he may return to me. I am expecting him to come along with the brothers. Now about our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to go with you, with the brothers. He was quite unwilling to go now, but he will go when he has the opportunity. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be men of courage. Be strong. Do everything in love. You know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and they were devoted themselves to the service of the saints. I urge you, brothers, to submit to those, and that everyone who joins in the work and labours at it. I was glad when Stephanus, Fortunius, and Achaeus arrived because they have supplied what was lacking from you. For they refresh my spirit and yours also. Such men deserve recognition. Final greetings. The churches in the province of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord, and so does the church that meets in their house. All the brothers here send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, greet, write this greeting in my own hand. If anyone does not love the Lord, a curse be on him. Come, O Lord. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love to you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you very much. Good morning, everyone. I know we've uh, said a lot already uh, about praise in the park. I just want to extend my personal thanks to everyone that took part and worked so hard yesterday um, to make it happen. It was a, a really wonderful time that we had uh, together. And it was so good just to be outdoors praising God um, right in the center of town, you know, surrounded by people that, that we don't know yet. Um, so it's fantastic. So thank you so much. Um, and I also want to start this morning just by saying um, congratulations. Well done, everyone. You've made it to the end of our 18 weeks on the letter of 1 Corinthians. You should give yourselves a pat on the back. Um, I am slightly curious. Has anyone uh, made it to every single one of the 18 sermons on 1 Corinthians? No one. And I had all those certificates made up. Yes, Val. Well done, you can collect your medal on the way out. <laughs> Fantastic. Brilliant. 
Well, we are here. We've arrived um, at the end of Paul's letter. And I was a little bit tempted this morning just to use um, this time to, to, to think back about all the lessons that we've learned throughout this book and, uh, and sort of try and draw together all of the different thoughts that we've had. Um, you know, especially as this last chapter seems to be largely Paul's travel plans, doesn't it? He's like one of those annoying people that tells you all the fantastic places they're going on holiday in the summer. Um, but as I wrestled with this chapter this week and as I um, thought about it perhaps a little more deeply, uh, I realized there's quite a lot left that Paul has to teach us in this chapter. So we're going to um, go for it this morning. If you haven't already, if you could open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Um, and it would be a good idea this morning as well perhaps to take some notes if you don't normally take some notes because there's quite a lot um, here today that I want to get through um, and I'm not convinced you're going to remember it all. Okay, so let's get on with it. My Bible splits this chapter up into three sections. I'm sure yours is similar. The verse 1 to 4 it calls the collection for God's people. Uh, verses 5 to 18 it calls personal requests and uh, 19 to 24 it calls final Greetings. This morning, um, I want to look at those first two sections. Um, I don't think we're going to quite have time to get onto the third, but we've got our life groups for that. Uh, so it's going to be a sermon of two halves, and we're going to be looking at money, and we're going to be looking at ministry. M&M. That's why the M&M people are up there. <clears throat> so the first half of this letter, Paul is continuing to give uh, instructions to the Corinthian believers on how they should deal with um, this monetary gift that they want to give. And the second half, um, Paul is describing his and his fellow workers' um, ministry, or if, if you're not sure what that word means, um, their continuing work for Jesus, what they're doing for the expansion of God's kingdom. So let's look at money first, beginning at verse 1. <clears throat> he says, Now, about the collection for the Lord's people... Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. So the now about should be very familiar to us, those of us that have been um, on this journey since the start. The now about tells us that Paul is responding to something he's heard or to uh, a letter he's received um, or to something someone has told him about the church in Corinth. So this is him responding to them. And we don't have what they said, um, but we know that they needed further instruction. And a little bit, a few verses on, we find out this is to do with a specific monetary gift for the church in Jerusalem. Why Jerusalem? Well, if we read the book of Acts, another book in the Bible, we find that the church begins in Jerusalem. And actually, um, this was Jesus' fault. Okay, Jesus told his disciples that they were to remain in Jerusalem until they received the Holy Spirit. It says um, in Acts 1, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so they waited. They remained in Jerusalem, um, and eventually the Holy Spirit came. And on that day, the church went from about 120 to 3,120. That's some serious growth, isn't it? You know, Steve was talking about adding 30. Imagine adding 3,000. That's what happened on the first day. And as we read through the book of Acts, we see that many of the believers um, remained in Jerusalem. And they stayed there until the stoning of Stephen. Stephen was one of the followers, um, and he was 
killed for what he believed in. He was martyred for his faith. And it reads that on that day, a great day of persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered through Judea and Samaria. And so the believers are, are sent all over the land, um, but they don't go quietly. They continue to talk about the things that they believe in. They continue to talk about Jesus. Um, it says in Acts 8.4, But the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Fantastic. And one of the places they end up is a place called Antioch. Um, so this church springs up in Antioch. And Antioch was the church that sent Paul, who's written this letter, um, on his missionary journeys. And you can read about them in Acts and their fantastic journeys, the, the, the experiences that Paul has. And eventually, after some to and froing, Paul ends up in Corinthia, Corinth, sorry, um, where he founds this church who he's writing to now. So there's a church in Jerusalem, there's a church in Antioch, and then there's a church in Corinth. And then there's other churches all over the place as believers spread the word around. But the point is, for Paul, these weren't separate churches. These weren't different identities. You know, we, we might talk about the, the Baptists down the way or the Methodists across the street, but for Paul, these were all one church. In fact, he calls it the church of God. The gathering of God's people. If you think back to how the letter begins, he writes, to the church of God in Corinth. To those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all of those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. So Paul has this really inclusive view of the church, of all believers together. And he becomes aware that the, the believers in Jerusalem are, are struggling, um, that they need financial help. Uh, and so he organizes collection for this part of the church. This is how he sees it. And this is important for us because the principles that Paul gives now to the Corinthians for this collection, we can apply to our own giving, our own financial giving to the church. So let's have a look at the principles that he gives. Um, verse 2. He says, On the first day of each week, each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so when I come, no collections will have to be made. So firstly, he talks about giving on the first day of every week. Now, it's unlikely that this had anything to do with um, when the Corinthians were paid. I'm sure most of us receive a monthly wage. Um, some of us might receive uh, a weekly wage. If you're on zero-hour contract, it might be even less. Um, but for the ancient Corinth, the payment was far less regular. It had very much um, to do with what you did. You know, if you were a fisherman, it would depend on the amount of fish that you caught and then sold. If you were a farmer, it would depend on the time of year. You know, was it harvest season? Um, if you were a craftsman, it might depend on the quality of the work that you do or whether there's anyone to, to buy your wares. If you were a slave, you probably wouldn't get any um, money at all. You'd just receive lodgings and, and food. That's how it worked. So we can say with some certainty that this instruction is nothing to do with when they received money. Instead, I think Paul says it should be the first day of every week because he wants the church to get into the habit of regular giving, regardless of their current financial prosperity. 
So in as much as they would um, set aside money for other financial commitments, such as um, rent or, or taxes or subscription to Netflix, um, or as it was called, um, Colosseum Flicks back in the day, um, they would also set aside money for the church. And that way the church doesn't become um, an afterthought, which only benefits when there's spare money lying around. It becomes a commitment. It becomes an investment in God's kingdom. It gives God's work priority. It's also interesting the day that he suggests, the first day of the week. The first day of the week is the Sunday. Today. Um, and this was the day that the Christians, the gathered believers, the church of God, had chosen to come together to worship. You know, the Jews had uh, their Sabbath on a Saturday. The Christians met on a Sunday. And they met on a Sunday because Sunday was the day when Jesus rose again. So they wanted to come together and celebrate that fact. And so Paul is saying is, you know, what he's saying, as you come together to worship, then your, your monetary giving should be a part of your worship. Now, as you know, we're, we're no longer a church that um, passes around baskets on a Sunday morning or or little bags, or, or makes you come up the front to give money, or anything like that. And the reason we don't do that is because we don't want people that visit us to feel that we're, we're after their money, and, and it's really not what we're about as a church. You know, we're far more interested in um, introducing people to Jesus than we are in, in ever receiving money from people. And honestly, if you are visiting this morning, then this first part of the sermon is, is really not for you. But if you are a regular worshipper of God in his church, then your worship should include your finances. Proverbs 3 verse 9 reads, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all of your crops. Now, if I'm going to be honest with you this morning and, and vulnerable with you, for, for a, a period of my walk with God, um, I didn't honor him with my wealth. I held it back for myself, and um, occasionally I would give God um, the leftovers my attitude was, if I had a bit of money left in my wallet on a Sunday from the end of the week, then sure, that could go in the, in the collection pot. But other than that, it was my own to do with as I pleased. And that was a problem. You know, I was singing, um, I will offer up my life in spirit and truth. But what I was saying was, I will offer a part of my life, keep the money for me. <laughs> and it wasn't good. It wasn't healthy. I, I am sorry about the singing. There's a reason I'm, I'm not involved in the worship. Um, but I came to the realization that, you know, I was tr saying I trusted God. I was, I was confessing that with my lips, but I wasn't trusting him with my finances. You know, there was a whole part of my life that I was keeping back for myself, and I needed to give God a more genuine expression of my worship, which included my finances. And this is the challenge that Paul makes to the church. And he makes it to the whole church, doesn't he? He says, each one of you, young or old or rich or poor, if you're part of the community of believers, the church of God, then you should be giving deliberately and regularly. Now, just to be clear, I'm, I'm the same as Steve in that I have no um, concept this morning of, of who gives what to this this church. It's not information that, that, that we, we know. The only giving I know anything about is my own. Um, so this message isn't targeted at anyone in particular. This isn't for anyone in particular. But the interesting thing that, is that neither was Paul's message. You know, Paul just wanted the whole church to be involved in the act of giving for their own benefit and for the benefit of all of the believers 
together. And so he gives them this really practical way of doing it. He says, you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Essentially saying, you know, if you wait till I come, then the amount of money you'll be able to give at that time will not be as significant as if you'd given a small amount on a regular basis. Really practical and down to earth. And, you know, we're, we're all called, I think, to be stewards of the things that we have including our money and our wealth. And, and some of you may feel this morning, well, you know, I really haven't got that much. And I think comparatively, when you start to look at the, the wealth in the world, we're all very rich. And we have to decide to, what to do with the things that we have. I heard, um, I heard this week that, that Elton John um, gives his children £3 pocket money each week. £1 is for them to spend on whatever they want. Um, a second pound is for them to save and the third pound is for them to give to charity. And it's not very often that I'm going to stand here and give you a spiritual lesson from Elton John. Um, but this morning, you know, I, just, I think that's an excellent example of good stewardship with money. You know, my question is, um, do we encourage our own children to use their money for the benefit of others? Both in, in what we give them and in the example that we set for them in our own finances. So every Christian should give regularly as a part of worship, in keeping with their income. And incidentally, I don't think it's coincidence that these instructions come immediately after uh, chapter 15, where Paul finishes by saying, Stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Because actually one of the best ways in which we can ensure that we're standing firm is by investing our finances in the work of the kingdom by making a commitment that goes just beyond our lips and into our wallets as well. End of part one. That's the money bit done. You can relax. So Paul at this point has finished offering instructions and now he moves on to his travel plans. Actually, what I think he does um, is he gives us an insight into what ministry looks like uh, for Paul. I'm just going to read you again, uh, beginning at verse 5. He says, After I go through Macedonia, I will come to you, for I'll be going through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay with you for a while, or even spend the winter, so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. For I don't want to see you now and only make a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you, <coughs> if the Lord permits. But I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door for effective work has opened to me and there are many who oppose me. When Timothy comes, see to it that nothing, he has nothing to fear while he's with you for he's carrying on the work of the Lord just as I am. No one then should treat him with contempt. Send him on his way in peace so that he may return to me. I am expecting him along with the other brothers. <coughs> now about our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to go to you with the brothers he was quite unwilling to go now, um, but he will go when he has the opportunity. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. And do everything in love. So it seems to me um, that as Paul writes these words, as he kind of paints this picture of what his ministry is going to look like over the coming months, he has two priorities in making these plans. The first priority is to evangelize. And the second priority is to edify. <clears throat> now, I realize those are 
some pretty fancy Christian words. Um, so just to put it another way, his first priority is to tell people about Jesus. And his second priority is to encourage people in their faith. Evangelize, edify. Tell people about Jesus, encourage them in their faith. They're his big two, his main concerns, if you like. And actually, you know, this is the same mission that Jesus gave to his disciples. As Jesus left earth, as he finished his ministry on earth, he spoke to his disciples and he gave them what we um, refer to as <coughs> the Great Commission, which sounds very serious, doesn't it? Um, but he tells them to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So that's the telling um, people about Jesus bit. Go. Go and do that. And then the second bit, he says, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. That's the encouraging people in their faith bit. Teaching them how to live this life, how to be a Christian. Tell them about it. Teach them about it. And these are, are Paul's concerns as well. You know, Paul went to Corinth. As I said earlier, from Antioch, and he, he, he told them about Jesus, and, and the, the believers came together, and the church sprang up, and he, he encouraged them for a while, and then he, he moved on to tell somebody else about Jesus. But he writes this letter as a way of continuing to encourage them in their faith. So how do we this morning go about following Paul's um, ministry model? I've, I've broken it down into three bits for you. The first one is that we are to make plans. Uh, Paul was going to head through Macedonia, and then he was going to come to Corinth, and then hopefully spend the winter. But what are our plans? As a church leadership, um, we make plans. It's one of the things we do. We make plans for the church. Over the summer, we're running um, a, a free luncheon club for, for vulnerable families, and we're doing that to fulfill the Great Commission. We want to tell them about Jesus, and we want to encourage them. So we plan to do it. Well, mostly Brenda plans to do it. Um, but we did plan to do it. In the autumn, we're planning to run a parenting course and an alpha course side by side as we've been banging on about this morning already. Why are we doing that? Because we want to tell people about Jesus and we want to encourage young parents. So we're planning to do it. Yesterday, we did praise in the park, thanks uh, to the planning and preparation made by Lloyd and his team. And we did it because, guess what? We want to tell people about Jesus, and we want to encourage them in their faith. Now, your plans this morning might not be that elaborate. You might not be planning to do your own praise in the park in your back garden next week. Okay, that's fair enough. It's a lot of work. But we could make plans for the kingdom of God. You could plan to speak to someone this week, to see someone deliberately, to invite them along to the Alpha Course. You could plan to see that person from church who you know is going through a really tough time at the moment and perhaps just needs some encouraging in their faith. You know, very, the very reason that Paul writes this letter is because um, he wants to encourage them. He has to send a letter because um, Skype and FaceTime didn't work in ancient Corinth. The Wi-Fi was terrible. He just couldn't get a signal. But he wants to see them face to face. This is his desire. This is his heart. He says, I don't want to come now because it will be a passing visit. I'd rather come and give you quality time to help you, to encourage you. And for me, it's one of the great joys of ministry, of being in the job that, that I have, is that I get to go to people, to see them, to talk to them, to, to encourage them, to pray with them, to try and help them in their faith. And I know many of you, many of you in this church are so good at that. 
You give up so much of your time and energy for other people. And I just want to encourage you to keep doing that. It's something we can all do, isn't it? You know, we might have different amounts of money. We might not be able to give as much as other people, but we've all got the same amount of time. We've all got 24 hours in a day, and we can set aside some of that time for others in the church. Excuse me, drinking. I'm getting quite warm. So that's the first one. Make plans. The second thing we can learn from Paul's ministry model is that we can be flexible. Paul had plans, but he, he was willing to change them as opportunities arose. You know, we have the Great Commission. We know what it is that, we want, that God wants us to do, so we make plans accordingly. Um, but on the way, we need to be open to the opportunities that God might present to us, even if they're not in keeping with our current trajectory. Paul says, I hope to spend time with you, if the Lord permits. But I'll stand at Ephesus because a great door for effective work is open to me and there are many who oppose me. Now that seems like a really odd sentence, doesn't it? You know, Paul, if people are opposing you, maybe now's a good time to go to Corinth. You know, get out. Get out while it's getting tough. But oh no, not Paul. Actually, you can read about some of what was happening um, again in the book of Acts, Acts 19. It tells us a little bit of the story. And essentially there's this guy called uh, Demetrius. And Demetrius is um, a silversmith. Uh, and his main uh, product is that he makes silver shrines um, for the goddess Artemis, or I think it's Diana is the, is the Roman version. Uh, and Paul's ministry is so successful in Ephesus that people have stopped buying his silver shrines. You know, business has kind of gone sour. Um, and so he, he gets a bit worked up about this, and he calls together all the guys in the trade, uh, and he says to them, listen, there's this chap, Paul, and he's going around saying things like, the gods that you make with your own hands are no gods at all, uh, and other such nonsense, and uh, he's stealing all the glory from our God Artemis, and you know, business is bad, but it's nothing to do with that. Um, you know, he's just nicking all this glory, and we've got to do something about it. So he gets them whipped into a frenzy, he stirs them right up, um, and this mob forms, and they, they hold a rally in the local amphitheater. Acts 19, you can read it all for yourself, I'm not making it up. And they, they go there and they start chanting, Great is the God, Artemis! Great is the God! And the whole city goes into an uproar. Paul's response, absolutely brilliant. Acts 19, verse 30 says, Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Paul, oh look, an angry mob. I better go and tell them about Jesus. <laughs> Come on! And you can imagine the disciples literally holding him back as he tries to get into the theatre to talk to them about Jesus. Paul was never one to miss an opportunity to tell people about Jesus, even if it wasn't a part of his plans. Maybe a more modern example. In, on January 9th, 1985, Pastor Haristo Kuchev, um, who was a congregational pastor in Bulgaria, he was arrested and put in prison. And his crime um, was that he had preached to his church, even though the state had appointed a different pastor. Um, someone that the congregation didn't elect. Um, and it was a, a mockery of justice, his trial, and he was given eight months in prison. Awful. There's no way that could have been a part of his plans for the church that he was involved in. But listen to what he wrote when he got out of prison. He said, both prisoners and jailers asked many questions, and it turned out that we had a more fruitful ministry there than we could have expected in the church. God was better served by our presence in prison than if we had been free. 
Not every plan that we make is going to work out. You know, sometimes life throws us a curveball, something unexpected. It might not be an angry mob, and it might not be imprisonment, but just something that we're not expecting. And as Christians, you know, if we're going to follow Paul, then we need to be perhaps less concerned with what's gone wrong and more, uh, and more concerned with the opportunity that God may be presenting to us. You know, it might actually be a good sign that there's opposition. I, I received um, a Facebook post yesterday from, uh, from Amy, and it was um, someone had commented on the Praise in the Park um, <coughs> post online, and they were really negative. They were, they were saying, oh, Elam shouldn't have the opportunity to go and evangelize in town, and they have a real problem with, with Elam as a movement. I'm not going to get into the details of all the rest of it. Um, but it's just brilliant because as I was, I was reading that post from me, God just dropped that verse back into my mind. A great door has opened and there are many who oppose me. Sometimes it's a good sign that we're doing the work of God when difficulties arise. So the third thing, in order to follow Paul's ministry model, we need to remain strong. Verse 13 and 14, Paul writes, Be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, and do everything in love. I love these, these couple of verses. I think in many ways this is a, a fantastic summary of this letter. The message paraphrase puts it this way. It says, Keep your eyes open, hold tight to your convictions, give it all you've got, be resolute and love without stopping. Five ways that we can remain strong. Number one, Keep your eyes open. Watch out for the enemy. You know, as we think back through this letter, we can see all the ways that the Corinthians were under attack from the enemy. The, the divisions that were among them, um, their reliance on, on uh, their own wisdom, their immorality, their greed, their pride, and their complete lack of love for each other that they so often displayed. And Paul uses this letter to show them all of these things so that they can be on their guard, so that they can watch out for these things in the future. And how do they do that? They do it by holding tight to their convictions. They were not to give up on what they believed. The Corinthians were always looking for the next new idea, the new big thing. And Paul reminds him, you know the answers. You already know, so stick with it. You need to hold tight to your convictions. In fact, don't just stick with it, but give it all you've got. Step out in faith. Be committed. Don't let fear and doubt hold you back. Go for it with whatever time and whatever resources you have. Be resolute. I looked up resolute. It means to be admirably purposeful, determined and unwavering. Brilliant words to describe Paul. Um, and Jesus, towards the end of um, his earthly ministry, Jesus prayed a prayer. You can read it in John. He said, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. As Paul writes to Timothy, who he mentioned earlier, um, as he's nearing the end of his life, he says this about himself. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. What brilliant words to be able to say about himself. And finally, love without stopping. You know, we called this series um, a love affair with problems, didn't we? But actually, the problems that are in the church were symptomatic of a misplaced love. I started the series um, by telling you that the Corinthians were intellectually proud, materially prosperous, and morally corrupt. These were the things that they loved. They loved their, their intellect, they loved their things, and they loved themselves more 
then they loved God and they loved each other. And that's why the church was so full of problems. They needed to rediscover their love for God and they needed to rediscover their love for each other. Now there is, there is a little bit more in this chapter at the end. Paul encourages them to submit to other believers who have been in the faith longer and, and, and have worked it out. And, and we're going to look at that in the life groups because um, we're, we're running short on time this morning. But I want to finish the chapter there with those five things. Keep your eyes open. Hold tight to your convictions. Give it all you've got. Be resolute and love without stopping. Can we make that our prayer this morning? Can we invest in the kingdom? Can we make plans for the kingdom but be on the lookout for God at work? And can we remain strong? There you go. I told you it was a lot. <laughs> I'd just like to close um, the sermon with a prayer and if the band could come up to lead us um, once we've prayed. Let's just close our eyes. Father, I pray that we would each live lives that are wholly committed to you. Father, that we would be good stewards of the things that you have given us, the many ways in which you have blessed us. And Father, that we would worship you not only with our lips, but with our finances as well. Father God, I pray that we would learn to follow Paul's example of ministry as he followed the example of Jesus. That we would indeed make plans in line with your great commission to us to make disciples of all nations, Father, and to encourage each other to continue in the right way. But help us to recognize those opportunities that you present to us as well, even those, Father, that seem like setbacks at first. Keep our eyes open to danger and help us to hold tight to our convictions. We want to be able to say at the end of our lives that we have fought the good fight, we have finished the race, and we have kept the faith. In Jesus' name.